What is a smart city? Our civilization has reached a point where we can no longer think bigger. We now have to think smarter. All around the world, there are transformative cities doing incredible things, and it's time to sit up and listen. It's time to make a difference for ourselves and for our planet. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Smart City Diaries, the podcast where reports of the host's dual inability to open unfamiliar doors have been greatly exaggerated. Tonight, we are going to be talking about cybersecurity. Very, pretty big topic. We're going to get into that in just a little bit. We have a great guest for you guys tonight. But first, Mom, how have things been going in your life? What have you been up to? So we just went to Las Vegas. Nevada. Yes, we did. Um, I was there. <laughs> it was a couple of weeks ago. We went there before. The, actually, it was just blowing up. Delta we was just, just blowing up. Yeah, It was definitely just blowing up. And we went there not because we thought Las Vegas was a great place to go to, but because your producer, your music producer is in Las Vegas and you went there to record an LP. I did. 14 songs in three days. All of the vocals in three days. So, and you do all of your own vocals. So, I mean, it, I can hardly wait for the LP to come out. So that was really great. The thing is about Las Vegas is I don't understand it as a city. Um, <laughs> in the current day and age, you know, it's a city of entertainment in the middle of a desert uh, with no water in a part of the country that is desperate for water, where we've been in, you know, a drought for a long time now. Oh, yeah. Um, and the most amazing part about it was the people. We went on midnight out in the street and it was packed. The strip was packed. Person to person, no masks. It was terrifying. You know, you can't blame the actual residents no. of Las Vegas for this, because no. this is tourists, not just Americans, but international. And we also know that the... I, I, I say this knowing full well that I was there, too. So, like, obviously part of this. But um, you are not going to get the most cautious people at that time during an ongoing pandemic. You're going to get people who are maybe taking more risks, who are going to be going to someplace Las Vegas in this time. So it's sort of like the convergence of all of the least ideal factors. And it, it truly was, it is, that part is absolutely terrifying. Even being masked and vaccinated, which we all were, um, it just the one night that we actually ventured onto the strip, because the other nights I was in the studio, um, it was, yeah, it, it just doesn't feel like, it, it just sort of, it's, if it was a comic book, it just would have felt like the little warning exclamations would be um, in the air around you, like just some danger. This is not... This is not right. Even before Delta exploded the way it has now, you could just, it just felt ominous is how I'll describe it. felt ominous. Yeah. And so I'm really curious about Las Vegas as a city. So I, I'm going to be talking to some of the city folks over there just to find out, because I'm sure that they are not, they're aware of all of these things. They see all these things. And I'm wondering how they're preparing. A lot of people are moving to Las Vegas and we saw an amazing so amount of cranes all over the city primarily building residential. Wouldn't yeah. you say, Anna, that's what they were building? Residential, and because as is par for the course in this country, it all appears to be what will probably be marketed as luxury residential. Right. Because that's all that gets built unless city governments force developers to remember that they are supposed to have retained shreds of their humanity. I've been a bit of a homebody. I mean, even 
after the world opened back up. I've done a few things, but I am just, I don't know, pretty nervous still. And so I've definitely been, I, I haven't done very many activities outside of my home. But yesterday, I did go to a kitten lounge. Now, what is a kitten lounge, you might ask? And my initial response would just be the greatest concept ever invented. But basically, uh, cat cafes were conceptualized in Taiwan, and then they really got popularized and took off in Japan. But the point is, the idea is it's coffee and cats. That's, or tea and cats, or whatever your beverage of choice is. And the whole point of these having developed was to get animals out of shelters and put them in a different environment where you can, because when you go to a shelter to adopt an animal, you don't really meet the animal at their best. You meet, they're in a high stress environment. Oftentimes they were removed from an abusive or neglected environment. And so you can, you're meeting a very stressed out creature a lot of the times. And so cat and dog cafes try to basically present these animals where they're more able to be themselves in a safer, more healthy environment. And a kitten lounge, as you can imagine, is the pop-up that Cat Cafe Lounge does once a year to try to get keep kittens from being euthanized because that is a big problem because when the shelters get inundated with all of these animals, they can't find homes for them in time. So that was the whole purpose of the kitten lounge was you're going there, you have 20 or so adoptable kittens and they are all, they're actual kittens. These are, like, I think the oldest ones are probably a year old. So they're still, they've still got the... They still haven't lost that kitten lankiness and the ability to fall asleep in two seconds flat, just be dead to the world. Just like being a baby. That's what just, babies do. And it's just like you get for, for an entire hour, you just kind of get to luxuriate in these with these absurd balls of energy that just run around with their little tails that don't quite really bend yet because they've still got the little Christmas tree stocky lizard tail thing that baby that baby animals get. And it was just great. So it was it was really nice to everyone was masked, obviously. It's all masks on, thank goodness, or I would not have gone. Um and it was just really, really a nice way to spend a, an hour on a Saturday. So if any honestly, if any of you no one's paying me for this, but I'm just saying if any of you um have a local cat cafe, or if I mean if you can be around cats, obviously, allergies and what everything notwithstanding, I really recommend it as a nice source of stress relief to just go hang even if you can't and aren't not in a position to adopt just check out your local um what your local options are because honestly it was just an amazing piece of stress relief in the middle of a global pandemic so i personally think cat and dog cafes and things like that are smart technology personally well it it addresses a problem Mm -hmm. in an innovative way yeah mental health right on this week's story time, we're going to laugh, we're going to cry, and of course, we're going to sigh heavily and go, what could go wrong into the ether? So first up, I just want to give a shout out to the Fame Lady Squad, the $1.5 million women-led NFT project that turned out to be run by Mom Can You Guess. Guys. A bunch of dudes. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, Input Magazine reported that the three women who are allegedly running this glass ceiling shattering NFT project were actually cynical inventions of three dudes from Russia um, who were exposed by their countrymen and fellow NFT enthusiast Fedor Linick. And the best part is that apparently this is not the only NFT project that these three charlatans are behind that's pretending to be something that it isn't. This is all according to input. Now, they did not specify what these other projects are because that might not have been, that might not have come out. 
But basically, it's just kind of like, oh, good, this new innovative system where there is all this potential for this tech to be used in really cool ways, and you just have dudes doing more of the same. And the thing is about <laughs> NFTs and, and cryptocurrency and blockchain, it's all supposed to be about trustworthiness. Right. That, that's oh, for my Everything goodness. I can tell that that, and instead of what this is just a cynical, basically, weaponization of Western ideals, because that's really what it is basically right. saying oh we know we'll play up the western world loves feminism right so they pick at vulnerabilities um which in some ways it is keeping the ethos of you know girl boss gatekeep gaslight very much alive and well which is the girl boss feminism so in some ways this is actually perfectly in line with the ideals of girl boss feminism but uh, anyway girl boss feminism Oh, so, um, so girl boss feminism, for those who don't know, which would mostly be our older members of our audience, like me. the joke is it's about my feminism means that I will rise, but I will use the same abusive tactics of the world that oh, oppressed me to do it to everyone else. And it's most popular. In. It's most popular with white women. Okay. Not exclusively. But they probably but, have the tools to use it yeah. more effectively than, than others do. And so do. it's basically, if, you do the, if you're a woman who's doing the same evil shit as every other capitalist around you, right. you moving up in the world is not a win for feminism. So that's girl boss feminism. It's when Got they basically it. say, my individual success is actually a cultural win. You're all right. welcome, even though I'm still going to pay starvation wages and I'm not actually going to do anything differently than all of the men that I'm calling evil. It's all along the same theme of of uh, really disenfranchising and disempowering women leadership. It's pretending that the individual solves the systemic. One final note on um, the Fame Lady Squad. As of the publication, the um, the project has now been ceded to actual women. So hooray for feminism. Yay. Um, anyway, I guess we have to talk about Apple and the announcement that they're going to begin scanning iCloud images for signs of child abuse. A lot of the tech companies uh, that host images already do something similar to this. So this is not unprecedented. Apple has notably resisted this kind of one-on-one -on -one law enforcement direct monitoring up until this point, which is why it's significant. Um, but per TechCrunch, their new system will be using a technology called Neural Hash, which converts images on a user's device into a unique string of characters, also known as a hash. And an image being modified modifies the hash. So the basic idea here is that on Apple's end, instead of seeing the act your actual images, which is, of course, a major violation of privacy, Apple is instead comparing hashes from their users to those on a database of hashes of known child abuse imagery. And they are working directly with law enforcement. Oh, what could and go wrong? So, and this is a complex and nuanced story, but the good news is if you go on our Twitter account, we did quote tweet a thread by a cryptography and privacy researcher named Sarah Jamie Lewis, who does a beautiful job of explaining exactly how this tech works and what the actual privacy risk here is, because I am not qualified to do that. So I'm not going to embarrass any of us by attempting to. But if I recommend checking her stuff out because she does a great job of explaining, OK, why is this a problem? Literally, why is this a problem? And so, but for our part, what I will say, and you, of course, you can find us at Smart City Diary on Twitter. Uh, but for the purposes of this podcast, I will just say this kind of automated big brother oversight just never ends well. Because to me, what I'm thinking about here 
is honestly just the people who are going to get implicated and caught up in some pretty serious accusations and trouble with the law for images that might not. There's a lot of ways you could get images that could, in theory, if you just described them without context, look really bad. Teenagers taking pictures of themselves, for example. Parents taking pictures of their babies that are just running around naked. Things like that. It's it's very easy. And I mean, then, of course, there's the privacy implications for law enforcement. Like, it, it seems to me that we're hitting gray area or we should be hitting gray area with warrants and probable cause. If they're working with the police departments, what else will the police departments want to have access to? Well, and who's to say that Apple won't give it to them? Because like, I, they can tell us whatever they want to tell us about we, what we do or don't do, what we do or don't give to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. We, your information is secure. But how many data breaches are there going to be or times where we find out that the info was just not even a data breach going out the back door for a dollar price and the company just saying, oops, well... Well, we didn't know it was happening or, oh, well, we when we said that it wasn't happening, we didn't mean it like that. Like, and it's always just kind of it's always mea culpa. And there's no re- there's no repercussions for these companies. At the end of the day, the problem here is transparency. Right. And it's that these companies cannot be believed. If you are a consumer and you take anything tech companies, especially when it comes to cybersecurity, if you take anything that they say at face value today. Right. Just, I wouldn't, I can't. And it's these companies own fault that the, that the public should not trust them. But just, I guess my thesis here is the public absolutely should not trust them. And we don't know how yet, but this is going to go badly. Well, and we're seeing a lot more interest in, in political figures, right? So in Washington, D.C., about curbing some of the excesses of social media. We don't know what that means yet, right? Because this is wild, wild west. So I really appreciate your pointing that out to us because we all, again, if we're talking about security, we have to be aware of what companies are looking at when we have data on the internet. And anything we do is data. If you have a picture up there, it's data. If you do a tweet, it's data. If you send a message to somebody, you think it's a personal message, it's still data that Google and others are collecting. So that's really the message. Yeah, we should never assume anything we do online is ever actually just between us and whoever we're sending it to. Right. That's the perfect launch for us to go into our topic today, which is about cybersecurity. And I know that everybody has been hearing about the hacks that seem to be happening on almost a daily basis. We're not hearing so much about personal hacks anymore so much as we are about large organizations being hacked. So let's just start with a simple definition of, you know, understanding what is cybersecurity? So if you've never heard of this organization, you're going to be hearing a lot more about it in the future. The United States Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, they're the ones that really are responsible for all of the security in our country, uh, for our infrastructure as well as just our Internet. And per CISA, they have a definition that I thought was very, very interesting. Cybersecurity is the art of protecting networks, devices, and data from unauthorized access or criminal use 
and the practice of ensuring confidentiality, integrity, and availability of information. Anna, I thought the word art of protecting was really, really an interesting word for them to use there. I think it's, it is interesting, but it's also, it feels appropriate. I mean, um, cause if you think about it, the job of something that's that, I guess what it boils down to is there's a lot of different ways. I mean, people who are, if you're a hacker, if you're do, trying to do, run phishing campaigns or anything like that, you have to be creative and you see it in the attempts, the way that there will be these trends in that's from the, um, you know, malicious side of things. And there will be these new or they'll start to do these new workarounds that are all very much embedded in how the human brain works and human psychology. And so as much as that is a science, when it takes a love, you have to be able to match that creativity. If you're going to fend off those attacks, you have to be able to sort of mirror that thinking. Right. And that there is an art makes to sense. that. Yeah. There is absolutely a finesse and a creativity to that that is just not straight science. And so it makes, I, I think the usage of the word art is completely appropriate. Well, it, you hit the nail on the head because I had to look it up. I had to look up an Oxford dictionary. Well, what is art? How is art defined? And it says just that, the expression or application of human creative skills and imagination. So apparently... Cybersecurity falls more less into the world of science and more into the world of art because you're constantly having to think and anticipate the next thing, right? So why should we care about cybersecurity? Hmm. Let me think. How many devices do you have, Anna? Oh, um, do a quick tally. So I have four. All right, that are just mine. And it probably yeah. the household, you probably double that, if and then not there's more. Um, well, so sorry, three that are just mine. Then there's two sort of joint shared computers. And then I get, well, technically the TV can be hacked. So Yeah. Um, right, right. Smart TVs. Exactly. Lots, lots. The answer is lots, lots of <laughs> things. Right. So just some of the areas that we everything is connected in. Right. The, the thermostat, the heating, the the doorbell. We're For all those connected. Of you fancy fools who have thermostats. Yes. Well, there you go. I, I do. I, <laughs> I can set it from, you know, wherever I am in the world. Yes. So um, so communication, right. Email, smartphones, tablets, entertainment, video games, social media, apps, transportation, navigation systems. Think about all those self-driving cars that uh, everyone wants to put out there right now. Shopping, medical health, equipment records, video, everything in your home. I mean, including my washer dryer and my refrigerator can be well, connected to the anything Internet. That's on, anything that can be connected to the Internet. Right. Really. So the, in the world of Internet of Things, everything is connected, which is why we should care about cybersecurity, because this is how the hacking happens. It enters in through an insecure portal. Also, before we jump into our interview, I do want to throw a couple of other quick definitions. Just I want to make a distinction between phishing and hacking. Okay. Because 99% of people just say hacking and there is nuance. To, so basically, uh, phishing, they're, they're both not legal. But phishing is, base, is an, it's a means by which to get the user to um, identify themselves online. So it's like and if you click a link that wants to get you to change your password, but it takes you to the wrong website, that's phishing. You're not being hacked. You're being fished, which could lead to hacking, which can lead to hacking. But hacking. But that that kind of thing, it is you're being fished. It's not the same as hacking. 
Um, hacking in its simplest terms is just gaining access to info that you're not authorized to gain access to. So it's all of the different means. Phishing is a form of hacking, but it is very specific. When people say hacked, it sort of, I think, brings up in their head the picture of someone in a room that's running a program to get into their, to like figure out what their password is. No, that's, if it's something where basically it is kind of user error and you entered information onto an untrustworthy website, whether or not you had like, and they're tricky. I'm not blaming anyone because they can get very tricky and very evil in their means. But I'm just saying nuance. It is called phishing. Yeah. No, that's it's a good not, point. So this, I just wanted to lay out those definitions before we get into our interview. Tonight. That's good. Cause I usually am not that nuanced when I talk about it. So thank you for bringing that up. Right. Yeah, and so Anna, have you ever been hacked? Uh, yes. People always trying to break into Instagram accounts because if you get a big one, you can try to sell it back to the person that you stole it from, basically. Ransomware. Okay. Um, and so even though my account, like, they were kind of wasting their time with me because I've never been an influencer or that popular in any discernible way on the internet. But nevertheless, I basically tried to log into Instagram and I open up the app and it t sends me to the login screen. And then when I tried to log back in, it said that your password is wrong. And I went and I went to my profile from a different Instagram account. And my my basically all of my stuff had been deleted. Oh. And my con my, my recovery in email now ended in dot RUS. So ah. fine. OK, got um, it. And it ended up being rather anticlimactic in that I was able to get my, I was, I was able to recover my account. Many people can't. Um, and it probably is just because I noticed literally as it was happening, I just was very lucky. I was online, right. when I was able to reach out to Instagram and they have you take a, write down a phrase on a piece of paper and take a selfie with it. This is how they identify authenticate that you are who you say you are Interesting. and you email Instagram a photo of yourself with the code on it. So no. they know that you're actually, so they know you're actually you. And then they, they reset okay. and then they reset my password and let me get back in. And now I have two factor on for obvious reasons, um, which I'm sure we will talk about later in the episode with uh, our guest. But yeah, so that was my one instance and uh, nothing, it could have obviously, and even though it was kind of low stakes because it's just my Instagram account, it felt very violating. Well, that's what it is. It, it just felt very, very It's violating. like, how dare like, you, right? So I have two actually stories. One is like yours, Instagram. Mine was linked a LinkedIn hack. Mm -hmm. And I was very concerned because I was, they, uh, I used my work email as they, uh, you know, the identify, ID right. identifier, although my person, my passwords were different from everything, but they still managed to get in. And so, of course, I had to then call my CTO, my uh, IT manager. At and this the is when you worked for the city. Worked for the city of San Leandro and say, hey, you know, this thing just happened to me. And the first words out of the IT manager's mouth is, what did you do? I oh, was thanks, crushed. Asshole. I was cr like, I, I didn't do anything. I don't know what I did. Well, and even if you did, like, how would you know? Odds are, if you did something that 
if you made that kind of mistake, it was probably because you didn't know any better. So how would you know what you'd done wrong? Right. So heads how up, would you know? <laughs> IT and CTOs and IT managers, stop criticizing. Be a your, human. Yeah, be a human. Be compassionate. Understand that the, your your employee did not want that to happen to them. All right. And maybe you should have done a better job training. So anyway, I'm just saying. So those are very personal examples of how it could happen. If it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. Trust me. And so be aware of it. And we're going to talk about some of the signs that you're going to look out for to protect yourself. So just how big of a problem is cybersecurity just for the universe, right? So for the first six months of 2021, Security Magazine reported over 1,700 publicly reported security breaches. These are just the ones being reported. Just the ones being reported. Right. And this is globally exposing 18.8 billion records. So maybe yours, maybe mine. I am starting to think being born is a scam. It's a challenge being born. It's a scam. We all got scammed. So what are some of the things that uh, were taken? In these breaches and hacks? Yeah, in these breaches and hacks. So payment cards, social security info, national identity numbers, like the employer identification numbers, financial account numbers, and dates of birth. And dates of birth are really important because if somebody takes that from you, that's your identity. That and your name is your identity. If you have that in a social security number, you you are somebody. Yeah, you can take someone's entire everything, who they are. 18.8 billion bits of data have been taken. And then what are some of the top target industries for cyber attacks? I bet you you are probably working in one of those industries. I certainly am working in one of those industries. I'll bet you most of our listeners are. So if I had to guess, I don't know, I would guess government. God, yes. Is pretty high up on the list. I would guess that uh, biotech is pretty high up on the list. Weapons manufacturers going to be pretty high up on the list. He- yeah, healthcare. Most of us have heard in, uh, in December 2020 of the solar winds hack with hundreds of thousands of clients globally downloaded malware placed there by a Russian intelligence agency. So this wasn't just, you know, dark cloud or some of these weird Russian mobsters trying to make money. This was literally a Russian intelligence agency, which subsequently downloaded this malware to clients in updates over a three-month period. So, you know, if you had a Microsoft account, you were downloading this stuff... You were downloading the malware, too. Kind of feels like the kind of thing someone on the in the IT department at that uh, company should have noticed. They have no idea how much damage has been done from this, and they're li- it's likely will take years to figure out. And when they do, they won't tell us about it. So, well, hopefully they will, because that's all part of learning how to secure ourselves, right? So this is why it's important. Uh, we're learning that a lot of this stuff ends up being blamed by, you know, individuals get blamed for it. But I'm really wondering whether it's the individuals that need to be blamed or the systems that they're in and they haven't been prepared for it. Today, to help us understand more about how we can protect our own personal cyber devices, Anna and I are so pleased today to introduce to you Alex Acosta. 
He is a senior security engineer for Gladstone Institute, an independent nonprofit life science research organization located in what we in the Bay Area think is the epicenter of biomedical and technology innovation, San Francisco's Mission Bay District. In case you haven't figured out the last name thing yet, Alex is my son. The children are multiplying. <laughs> Just the two of you so far. <laughs> so we know that Alex has been devoted to supporting Gladstone's mission for over 16 years, drawn to the company's vision of overcoming unsolved diseases through biomedical research. That sounds very important. That sounds very, especially when you consider the kind of data that they are protecting, right? So, and I and know I'm that you, a musician. Our parents are very proud of both of us equally. Well, that, that is also important data. So thanks for bringing that in. Anytime. <laughs> no problem. So, Alex, I know that you and your colleagues have taken several important steps over the last few years to modernize Gladstone's cyber system. And you personally are responsible for development and delivery of ongoing cybersecurity trainings with scientists and staff. You work in one of the top cyber attack target industries, biomedical. You've had a front row seat to the changes in IT technology and increased vulnerability to cyber attacks for over 10 years. When you consider all the users in your system, I mean, my goodness, 25 research labs, over 500 users, each with multiple devices. What keeps you up at night? And many with multiple degrees. I think that's oh. far more important than the Are number of devices. Are any of their devices. degrees in managing their own cybersecurity, though? Generally, no. Yeah, there uh, it you, is. But you'd be surprised. <laughs> uh, many are multidisciplinary, as you would say. Uh, I would say that many things will keep me up at night. Uh, more, it's the idea that I haven't been able to reach enough people, enough employees, and give them the resources that they need in order to keep themselves and the company safe. Um, it's not about, uh, it's about, you know, trying to make sure that they're as educated and trained as possible, but people are extremely busy. Life comes at you fast in many ways. And especially when working on some of the disease areas and research types that they're working on, often security is not necessarily the height of, uh, on top of their importance, which right. is completely reasonable and I totally understand. So it's all about creating a training model that engages with them without creating extra workload that slows down their ability to get research done. So you have to make it accessible, basically. Exactly. Acce it's accessibility. And as much as training and training about security specifically can be fun, trying to make it as fun as possible. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you, you made a reference to people with degrees as if that's a problem. Talk to us a little bit about that. But generally, when you are in a academic or research-oriented industry, uh, you're dealing with incredibly intelligent people who are very narrowly focused on a specific disease type or research path. Uh, and they are generally considered to be experts in their field, for whatever that field may be. There's a lot of very intelligent, very well-intentioned people that just go, that assume that because they are the subject matter expert in the area, in the city, in the country, in the planet, uh, that they know everything there is to know about many different things. That includes security and personal security and corporate security. So I have a feeling that this is probably a common 
common problem that IT departments have, or, or I've, what I've also heard is ID departments simply don't know how to communicate this information to their users. Um, yeah. What's a What's a good approach that you use? I mean, it sounds like you've had a lot of experience in approaching people who maybe don't think they have a problem. Talk to us about people skills. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> people skills are are really critical in this industry, and it's something that I think a lot of uh, people inside the technical uh, industries, whether it be IT in general, security, uh, DevOps, or, or anything else that you would consider in the technological support or, or development uh, realms, uh, they often put intelligence, uh, technical intelligence above emotional intelligence. And that can be, uh, especially in the security realm, very uh, dangerous, mostly yeah. because people don't like being talked down to, they don't like being dismissed, and they, especially when they are in you know, their, their job or at work, uh, they don't want to feel like they're the ones with the problem, right? They're the ones that are doing the job, ideally for some form of uh, compensation or money. So you know, they're the the companies hired them for a reason, and the security right. isn't that reason. Uh, so it's all about trying to engage with them, and especially on a personal level, making sure that they feel supported and protected, and that there's not a uh, it's not an antagonistic relationship. Like they're not being judged, basically. I have not noticed a prioritization of people skills in most of the IT departments that I've dealt with as a consumer. So yeah, the being talked and being talked down to does instantly, no matter how many degrees you have, being talked down to or condescended to or blamed. It's just kind of, when you were just doing your best. It, it yeah, it just sets everybody up to fail. When I tried to report a hack to my IT manager, the first words out of his mouth is, "What did you do?" Well, guess how anxious I was to ever report anything to him again. Right. right. It's like, and even if you did something, it's just like, it's, it is his it job on. to fix it. Thank you. So, <laughs> so there so, is that. <laughs> so, there, so, so, Alex, thank you for actually affirming for me what I think many of us feel is that emotional intelligence in IT is actually as valuable a skill as actually technical intelligence. Right? I think the tech industry in general needs in to get general, that memo. Yeah, it really needs all to improve. All of STEM, it. really. It's not just tech, tech specifically, but all of STEM really needs to get the memo that people matter it's an it's an ongoing uh i think issue or moment of of debate inside the technical space about how important it is um at, at my company we we consider emotional intelligence almost more important than the technical side when doing interviews for it staff wow um, because that's you can, nice to hear you can train someone to be technically adept you cannot train them to be a decent person well, yeah. Well said. Well said. Very good. Well, let's get a little bit more into exactly what kind of tools are available for our listeners to actually protect themselves. So I found this interesting term, cyber hygiene, in my reading this week, which I'd never heard of before. And what it basically is all part of developing routine practices designed to protect personal networks and and your data, right? So in your opinion, Alex, what are the best practices for our listeners' personal cyber hygiene, starting what, with what you think is the most important? In other words, if they do nothing else, they should do this every day. 
Well, I think there are two things that are equally important, but I think the, the easiest one for most people is, and even though it sounds extremely simplistic, is keep your devices and keep your uh, appliances fully patched and up to date. Uh, what that means is, you know, if you have an iPhone or an Android device, make sure you have automatic updates turned on so that when, you know, new security patches and things like that, when they come out, they automatically go, get delivered to your phone and then it, you can, it will apply them for you, usually in the middle of the night when you're not using it or at your, you know, your leisure. Uh, if you have... Uh, you know, if you have a personal computer at your home, make sure that you have, you know, automatic updates turned on. Make sure you uh, allow it to complete those updates and you reboot your computer occasionally just to make sure that those updates have been applied. And that goes for uh, a Mac as well as a PC. Both of them are equally valid targets, especially in the consumer space. A lot of people own Macs now, so you can't just, just by running a, a Mac doesn't protect you from attackers and malware and things like that. Didn't know that. Didn't know that. Really thought Apple was right up there with, no, can't touch us. So thank you for letting us know that. Which is interesting because I have Apple devices and I didn't even know that that was a... I didn't have the belief that Apple could not be touched. I just didn't even... And I definitely don't hit remind me tomorrow about my auto updater all the time. I don't... Well, then clearly I failed at, at helping educate you. So that's really my fault. That's not yours. Um, I'm, I'm, it's, admitting your shortcomings is the, the first step. So I appreciate that. It's the path to growth. Um, but besides doing something simple like keeping your systems up to date, you know, if, especially if you have uh, Apple supports their devices longer than Google does for Android devices, that doesn't make them better or worse. So if you have an Android phone, you know, even if it's from Samsung or from someone that's not Google and you've had it for four, three, four or five years, make sure you're still getting software updates. And if you're not getting security updates anymore, even though there is a cost to it, you may consider going to a newer model that is still getting those security updates. Because just because your device is, is no longer getting them doesn't mean that there no longer has any that need to be applied. It just means that you don't get them anymore. Oh, woof. Even though it sounds kind of crazy in this day and age, um, there is still a place for some kind of like anti-malware software in your life, as, as crazy as that is. You know, Microsoft has Defender built in. So if you're running, you know, Windows 10, you already have a layer of protection that uh, you didn't have previously. Um, I personally like using uh, Malwarebytes a lot, and you can get that uh, online at, I believe it's malwarebytes.com. When it comes to technological security, it's always about defense and depth. You wanna have, things will always fail, but if you can have an extra layer underneath it to catch it, you can at least slow or mitigate the damage. I would say the second most important thing you can do is password management. Humans are very, 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 and myself, I include myself in this statement, bad at remembering uh, random character strings that are 64 characters or more for every single website that they own or may, they may go to. Uh, and that's okay. Imagine that. And that, that is totally okay. <laughs> so using a password manager to help manage and randomize your passwords is a great first layer of security to keep yourself, one, from having a password that's easy to guess. Uh, and two, if a website gets or a company gets compromised and their password lists get leaked, which happens every single day, the what we call the blast radius is much, much smaller. Because if you only have a single random password for a single website and that gets leaked, you only have to change that password to one website because you haven't used it anywhere else. Um, 
there are a lot of great applications in this space. Uh, I personally use uh, 1Password from a company called Agile Bits. Uh, but there's also uh, LastPass. It's also in this space that a lot of people use. Uh, and there are open source uh, versions of the same utilities. All of them do a similar job. Most of them differentiate in terms of how user-friendly they are to, to use. But using something like that is a great way to keep your system a little bit safer. The first time I got hacked, I realized I was basically using the same password for almost everything I did. So. In your defense, I love Anna1234 is an amazing password. <laughs> it is very hard in for computers to crack. I mean, it, it, it takes probably <laughs> 13 microseconds for them to work through it, which in a computer is a lifetime. Right. So that's so why I science. love the randomness of the passwords that it will set for us. So I actually have one more thing that's okay. really important, and I'll make it brief and to the point. Everybody but listen. Multi-factor authentication is oh, critically yeah. important in this day and age. Um, when you speak about defense in depth, that is one of the things that we talk about. Um, so you can often heard it as two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication. Um, it essentially stands for more than one way to authenticate that someone is who they say they are. So a, a factor can be many different things, but something that you it's usually generally two-factor is something that you know and something that you have. A password is a single factor. So if you have a a username and a password on a website, that's single factor authentication. If you sign in using your username and password, and then it sends you a text message or says, open up your authenticator app, either Microsoft Authenticator, Google Authenticator, Authy, something of that nature, and type in the code that the, the random the number generator has generated for you, that's the second factor. And that's actually even more critical nowadays for keeping your account safe. So whenever possible, check with your, your website, the vendor, um, you know, if it's Google, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Yahoo, you know, they all offer it by default now and they strongly encourage it. So if you have it available, uh, turn it on. And, you know, there's often a lot of reports about, you know, whether or not SMS multi-factor is secu as secure as other types. And the kind of, my answer to that is always, it's more secure than not having it at all. Fair point, fair point. <laughs> right. So those are the three important things that you can use to make sure that your own personal data is secure, whether, what, whether it's your cell phone, whether it's your laptop, or whether it's your desktop. Talk about some of the simple ways that people try to get into your into your devices, like through emails? Sure. And what should you be looking out for? Well, generally, uh, there are a couple fairly simple rules when it comes to communications. Uh, you know, it, when, one of the things that I always try to reinforce is trust your gut. Trust how you're feeling and to, to kind of be aware of your emotional state when you see something that you find unnerving. Now, generally, in a uh, what you see a lot in these attack emails, they traditionally used to be more of a, like, I'm threatening you with something. You must, you know, mm -hmm. your password has expired. We will delete your account in 25 minutes if you don't put your, you know, change your password right now. What right. they've, they've also, but they've often moved beyond that. Uh, and they target now a lot of financial parts of the organization, you know, uh, accountants, you know, people who deal with strangers sending them PDFs that they just have to open because that has the invoice in it or getting receiving bills and things like that. That's where you often see these kinds of attacks happening. Um, at home, it's about, you know, has the person that you're talking to, you know, is it someone you actually know? 
are they contacting you via a method that they've always, you know, reached out to you for? Are they saying something like, I'm trapped in a foreign country and need money to get out, right? Like, does that person travel a lot? Is this, you know, is there a, a normal phone number? Like, say they've reached out to you via email. Is there a phone number you can call them on that you already know of ahead of time that that email didn't contain? Can you call their another family member and get other out-of-band contact information? Uh, that's generally what we remind or we tell people at work too is to say like if you receive a message that you're not sure about via one method, email, text, chat, whatever you know, phone call, contact the person who they say they are via another method. So if you you know received an email from them, start a new email to that person separately, or call them, or send them a t or send them a text message like, hey, I got this email from you. Is this legitimate? And generally, that's a safe question to ask because you're trying to like you're trying to be more secure. You're saying, I'm I'm not sure. Is this you know an issue? Can you please let me know? And right. most people will be happy to do so. So you've also taught me a couple of other things that were really easy. Number one, if you get an email from Microsoft, look at the person, look at the email address of the sender, right? If it's not any suspicious.com, right? Just if it's from not, any suspicious email, check right. the email address first. Check the email address. You will find that the email uh, address has nothing to do with the application or the business that they are claiming they have with you, right? So that's always a really, really easy way to check it out. Um, and then one thing that you told me uh, and Gary a long time ago was if you're in doubt, Call the organization if you're if it's a message from your bank, and it you you got that spidey sense in the back of your neck that says eh something doesn't look right. Call your bank, mm -hmm. right? Call call the company that in, in question directly instead of responding. And when you get that spidey sense in the back of your neck that goes eh, just don't click on it. Don't click on it. And it is always okay to contact them via a different method. Like you said, yes. call your bank. Exactly. You have a number on the back of your, your debit or credit card or other mode. They have a website you can go to where you can reach out to contact them. Uh, people almost never do uh, legal transactions with iTunes gift cards. Uh, that's a great, if they're asking for gift cards, Western Mutual, like, you know, or not Western Mutual, but Western Union money transfers. Uh, if you have, for example, a a threat of some kind of legal or criminal action. They're not going to ask you for money to make it go away. Uh, and most importantly, as surprising as this is, is, you know, grammar and spelling are actually really important. Um, attackers often misspell words and use inappropriate grammar uh, on purpose now as a way of actually weeding out people who may, if, if you are willing to read the email and go and check the spelling, then you may be more work than it's worth for getting money out of. So they will move on to someone who's less likely to have noticed those things and who's more likely to give them money. Wow. That makes sense. It's that's, evil, but it makes sense. That's really evil. Okay. No, I mean, in all seriousness, thanks for coming on and for talking to us about this stuff because it can seem very inaccessible and daunting and just kind of like, oh, well, if I get, everyone gets hacked eventually, right? That it can be very easy to fall into that mindset for I think us average folks. So I get just thanks for breaking this down and making it pretty, uh, like I, s I swear I'll start actually using one password and updating my computer, probably. <laughs> but 
you know, thank you for making it so accessible. Thank you very much, Mr. Acosta, for joining us on Smart City Diaries today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. We just learned a whole lot about how to manage our personal cybersecurity from my dear sibling. Um, And I just had one other thing that I wanted to add that has been brought to my attention. We're talking about, you know, the innovative ways that hackers and fishers and all of these malicious people will try to get your information. There's one trend that um, has especially recently become a big thing on social media sites like Twitter where there'll be these viral posts that um, basically say based on your birth month or based on like combine your birth month and your birthday, the date of your birth, and then show us what your outfit would be based on your last name, based on your um, favorite color, based on your birth year, based on your birth month. And so you'll pick your shoes. They said that if you were born in February, you post an image of these shoes. If you were born or if your favorite color is green, and basically they're trying to glean all of these little pieces of personal information from you, things that might be the answers to security questions, things that might give them personal identifiers. You think you're just participating in a fun viral meme. And in reality, some the person, the account in question might actually just be trying to fish you. So things like that. And not every instance of this is completely malicious, but the point is just be, and I've, I've done a million of those myself. So trust, I'm not smarter than any of you. The point is just something to be aware of. And if you're watching those, if the information looks a little bit too similar to what might be your uh, one of your security questions on a website where you, you know, that you, something that you've usually seen, maybe don't answer it. Maybe sit that meme out just or may, just basically be careful about how much real parts of yourself you put on the Internet because they are crafty. And listen to that spidey sense right in the back of your neck when something mm-hmm. just doesn't feel right. Pay attention to it because your body knows. Yep. Yep. And I think that's, yeah, that's cybersecurity. It's a big one. We'll be talking lots more about it in the weeks and months to come. So that has been our first episode on cybersecurity from Smart City Diaries podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us. As always, make sure you are hanging out with us on our Patreons. Go to smartcitydiaries.com to find this and all of our other episodes every single time. There's a bunch of supplementary um, links and everything that goes up with each one. We really want to be a good resource for you guys. Make sure you're following us on all of our social media so you don't miss any fun updates. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you'll see us next time. Bye.